You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, let's, uh, we're going to jump in tonight. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And uh, when... Let's just in honor of reading of the scripture, if you would go ahead and stand together. We'll we'll read a few verses here, and then we'll we'll jump in tonight. And uh, a few thoughts that have been on my heart. Um, I heard someone preach a message similar to this. I'll have to admit that to you uh, at one point. And uh, but it just st- really just stuck with me. And I'm not preaching that same message, but. Um, the inspiration was from a message that I heard someone else preach. Um, but it, I think it, might, it may prompt us to, uh, potentially on Wednesdays, for a few weeks to look at this, this subject um, tonight that I think we all could use, and that is the subject of prayer. And uh, it's a subject that I personally feel like I need probably the most help in a spiritual discipline. It'd be prayer. And, uh, and we can't pray enough, and we can't overemphasize prayer enough. So maybe these verses tonight would be a help to you, and then as we go along, potentially, in, the, in maybe somewhat of a loose series on prayer, I think maybe it could be a help to all of us. Luke 11, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, you, I pray that you would help us to come seriously tonight asking you to teach us to pray. And that as we approach this subject that you would help us to understand how important it is and how we can't pray enough and we can't commune with you enough. Lord, we, there, there's, it's impossible to overemphasize uh, the importance of prayer in our lives. And yet, I think probably it might be the most expendable spiritual discipline in many lives of your children. So tonight I pray that you convict us and help us to see uh, some of these things tonight that are important. Help us just to to catch a glimpse of of the magnitude of this this part of our lives. Bless the reading of your word and our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. And uh, I heard a story one time, and, and the reason it stood out to me is because supposedly it took place in Oklahoma. So uh, only stories like this can only take place in Oklahoma, I'm afraid. Um, but it was a small Oklahoma town, as the, uh, the story goes, and maybe you've heard this before. And in this small Oklahoma town, there are these two churches, and in, there was also one distillery, um, a, 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 a place that produced alcohol. Well, the churches, obviously, they didn't like the reputation the distillery gave the community. So they tried for years and years to close it down, but to no avail. They decided to get together and have a prayer meeting and pray that God would close down 
the distillery. Well, sure enough, not long afterward, conveniently for the story's sake, a fire destroyed the business. And when the insurance adjusters told the owner, who happened to be an atheist, they, they, that they would not pay to rebuild the, rebuild the business um, because it was an act of God, and it excluded that in the policy, he was very upset. So the distillery owner uh, was obviously mad because he had heard about the prayer meeting, so he sued both of those churches claiming they were responsible for him losing his business. The churches, though, in turn, denied that they had anything to do with the fire. So the presiding judge opened the trial with these words and said, I find one thing in this case most perplexing. We have a situation here where the plaintiff, an atheist, is professing his belief in the power of prayer, and the defendants, all faithful church members, are denying the very same power. And honestly, I could see something like that happening. It's funny how little our faith in prayer is sometimes. You know, we have countless examples from the scripture and the Bible where prayer accomplished great miracles in the lives of God's people. And I don't have to tell you that this is the core on a Wednesday night with bad weather tonight. But you know the stories of people like Moses and Joshua and Elijah and Elisha and Daniel and Peter and Paul and many others who saw their prayers answered in amazing ways. And most of us have even seen prayers answered in our own lives that can only be credited to God. Yet we can pray specifically sometimes for something and when God answers we just about fall over. We we just about uh, pass out from from the shock of it all. You know, we'll quote verses about prayer like found later in this chapter down in verse 9. Look, it says, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. We quote a verse, and we even sing songs with those lyrics. Praise the Lord. But when we ask, and we seek, and we knock, and God answers, we're just about shocked. It kind of surprises us that he really does answer the request of the promises that he makes in his word. I mean, how far removed are we from faith that we are surprised when God moves on our behalf? And I don't want to be that way. Eastside Baptist Church tonight, I don't want us to be that way. I don't want to be the kind of people that are surprised when God moves on our behalf because we pray for something. I want to have such a fervent, effective prayer life that nothing God does surprises me. Luke 11 begins with the disciples coming to Jesus and asking him to teach them to pray. And what's interesting is they ask him to teach them to pray like John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. And when I think of John the Baptist, I think of a man who's just a little bit off. Maybe you don't think of him this way, but a guy that eats locusts and honey and a guy that wears a leather girdle. I don't know any other man that wears a girdle, period a leather girdle, and he has a camel hair coat. I mean, maybe it's soft and warm, but I've never had a camel hair coat. He's living in the wilderness, a voice, one crying in the wilderness, the, the Bible says. I think he's just kind of a little bit out there. He's maybe a little bit of a wild man. 
He's a little bit like these boys I saw, Brother Dane, I think it was one of yours, right outside my window the other day, and I'm trying to focus on something, and I look up, and one of them's holding this big, long, fat snake right outside my office. And I was like, yeah, it's like John the Baptist Jr. right there. You know, that's the kind of stuff John the Baptist probably tried to impress people with snakes or something. You know, that's what little boys do. And I get one of the little boys was saying he had some in his pocket. He brought him to church. I'm like, why, why would you do that? But that's the kind of guy that John the Baptist maybe was. I think of him as a man who called people out for their sin. He was a man who wasn't afraid to preach and, and to be a prophet for God and be a fire brimstone preacher. But, but that's not the whole picture. Um, he may have been an in-your-face preacher, but he was also, according to the disciples here, he was an on-his-face prayer. He was a man known for prayer. And it's not an accident, I think it's very connected, that Christ said in Matthew 11, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. I mean, so it should be no surprise that someone described by Christ as the greatest born among women, or none greater, was a man of prayer. John the Baptist was an incredibly spiritual person. He was moved by the Holy Ghost as a baby in the womb, but that didn't mean he thought he was above praying. He was known to pray. I mean, he was the greatest prophet, but he wasn't above prayer. And even more clearly, we have a picture of the importance of prayer in verse 1 because it says, it came to pass that as he was praying, who do you think that was? It's talking about Jesus Christ. As he was praying. So you have the example of two men here in, in Luke 11, chapter 1, verse 1 that, that are examples of some of the greatest spiritual people that have ever lived. John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. And what do we have as an example in, both, in this verse of both of them doing? Praying. So even as men who were in touch with God, spiritual men, men who knew God, I mean obviously Jesus Christ was a man who knew God, but here's John the Baptist too, these men were spiritual. They were special. Yet they were praying. The Son of God wasn't above praying to his Father. So how can you and I then, here's where the problem is, how can you and I ever think that we don't have to pray? John the Baptist, Jesus, Elijah, Daniel, Paul, spiritual giants all, yet they prayed. And to be most accurate, we'd probably have to say, apart from Christ, they were spiritual giants because they prayed. But even when they would achieve a status that we would call spiritually giant, they didn't stop praying. Being even in touch with God. Don't you think Jesus Christ, in his divinity and his supernatural power, could have communicated with his Father without praying? Absolutely he could have. But he chose to pray. And as I've entered the pastorate here, I have been thinking about all the kinds of things that I'd like to learn how to do or improve on or become better at. And I've been thinking about, you know, how to deal with church finances. That's an area I've never had to deal with before, but how to lead people in church finances and um, how to have a plan for Sunday school curriculum and, and even, you know, being comfortable counseling people, not something I've done a lot of mostly teenagers and they believe whatever you tell them so it's easy but now you know got to counsel adults and it's intimidating 
you know, have, how to have a weekly routine and how to plan and prepare for preaching. I mean, today was a stressful afternoon, as many preachers find out. Brother Spencer, right? You know, these are all things I've, I'm mulling over in my mind. And they're important, absolutely. But the disciples didn't come asking Jesus how to have a better plan for outreach. And they didn't come asking him his favorite books on preaching and homiletics. They came asking for help praying. And he gives them a prayer model. And I'm thankful for it. You know, you've probably heard this before. Many people call this, or in Matthew 6, they call maybe the Lord's Prayer. But honestly, this is a model prayer for the disciples. And in, in turn, it's a model prayer for his disciples. Not just those first 12 or those first few dozen, but for us today, it's a, it's a model for prayer. And now Christ didn't tell them to pray these exact words. He didn't tell them to quote the prayer. He was giving them a pattern for prayer. It was a rough outline. He was helping them to see the kinds of things they should be praying about, but they were supposed to fill in the blanks. So for people to come along then and, and quote the Lord's Prayer as if it has some kind of spiritual meaning... In and of itself, that I think it's to use it apart from what Jesus Christ meant it to be used. So Christ gives them help in this area of prayer. And if you don't need help in the area of prayer, I'm just going to say now, you can, you can go ahead and leave because you don't need the rest of this. So we'll give you time. If you don't need help in the area of prayer, and I can wait, I, it's, I can handle awkward, obviously. So if you don't, if you don't need help, then okay, I knew that was going to happen. No one would leave. Because we all need help in the area of prayer. I know for myself, I mean, I need, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I feel so lacking in this area. You know, we all can improve our prayer lives. And, and tonight I'd like to maybe walk through some, a, a couple of principles in this passage on prayer. And maybe in the weeks ahead we'll look at some as well. But um, Lord, teach us to pray. I mean, what? So what do we need to learn? I, I thought, well, how about how to pray? You know, that's kind of what, what they're asking. Teach us to pray. And, um, you know, how do we learn to pray? Well, I think a lot of people learn because they kind of just catch it from the people in their lives. From the people they grew up around. Their parents or, you know, kids following their parents' examples. And I remember the first time I said, uh, I, I heard my son Jace before he could say his R's. And he said, Dil Hamily Fado. Dear Heavenly Father, he called a Hamily Favo. And I still sometimes do that just because it's fun and it reminds me of when he was little. But you probably, if you have kids that you raise in your home, you, you've heard them repeat some of those things that they don't even know what the words mean. They're just repeating them in their little accents and it's just cute and adorable. And, you know, helping train your kids how to pray for meals is, is so much fun. You know, because, I mean, who knows what they're going to say. I love to put my, my, my children on the spot when people are over and, you know, just to make them pray in front of people. And it's good for them. But they pick up on examples that they, that they grew up listening to. And, and we did, too. You and I did, too. We well, many times learn to pray because we hear people praying around us. And you know, I remember when we were kids, you know, when I, well, we still, when my kids are young, but we still do it at times. But... When we'd be around the kitchen table, we'd hold hands with people, you know, hold hands with each other. And then when we have people come over, they'd, my kids would want to hold their hands too. And it's awkward for, the, for everybody because, you know, it's weird to hold somebody's hand. And 
Um, but that's how they think you're supposed to pray for food. No, and before sleep, you know, I, that prayer that terrifies every child out there. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Well, that's not creepy or terrifying for a child. Right before bedtime, you know, you have guys that say, when they pray, they say certain words over and over. Father God, Father God, Lord God, Lord God, dear God, dear God. All the, you know, yeah, I've done it myself. Or the guys that change their voices when they pray for God. And they have certain lingo at times. Traveling mercies. I, I want to know who came up with that. They should have copyrighted it because they would make a lot of money in Baptist churches. Every week people pray for traveling mercies. Or they pray, they pray for watch care. Or a hedge of protection. You know, these are the kind of things, you know, we hear people say and we pray them. We use them again. And I'm, it's not all bad. I'm thankful that we can kind of pass on uh, our prayer to our children. But you don't always learn what you need to simply by listening to somebody else pray. And it may not necessarily be the right way. But that's how a lot of us learn to pray. And that's just how we pray. And many people pray based on, and this one's more serious. They, they pray because in a way that, that uh, maybe reveals that they have a false view of God. They pray for certain things and they expect God to answer. They, they think God is like this and if I pray like this, he's obligated to answer my requests. That's how a lot of people in, in today's modern churches pray. And you know, you've heard the health and wealth gospel talked about. And these preachers get up and they say, all you have to do is believe and God is obligated to answer your request. But that's a false view of God. He doesn't obligate himself to answer our requests just because we believe. Now, belief is a requirement for him answering our requests, but it doesn't mean he's obligated. He's not obligated to get rid of all of our health issues and all of our financial issues if we just simply ask him and believe. So don't believe that. If someone's trying to convince you of that, um, it's not true. God doesn't operate that way. He has his will. He has his plans. And our prayers can affect him and move him. But we have to be careful not to take over God's sovereignty and think that if I pray it, he's obligated to answer me. That's a false view of God among many, many false views of God. And if I believe that God is obligated to answer my request, then if I'm just sincere, I'm going to find myself oftentimes sorely disappointed because his will doesn't always align with my thoughts. And I'm thankful that his thoughts are that much higher than my thoughts and that his ways are that much higher than my ways because there have been a lot of things that I've prayed in my life and I look back on those things and I thank the Lord he didn't answer the request as I prayed them because, uh, because I saw how he worked uh, in a different way. I would have missed out on that. You know, if someone thinks incorrectly about God, I think about what happened just this past week. You know, when, if a loved one is taken from us. You know, if, 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 if you think incorrectly about God and you assume that if you pray, he's just obligated to answer our requests and, and pay attention to our will and submit himself to us then if we hit, that's a false view, we'll, there, we'll pray incorrectly and we start to run the risk of growing bitter against God for not answering our requests when really the problem lies in our own thinking in the first place. You know, we could all get mixed up in how we pray. 
We could pray incorrectly. We could have the false view of God. We can use lingo that we've heard or just pray in methods that we've heard other people pray around us our whole lives. But rather than just risk praying incorrectly or not understanding it, we need to go to Christ like the disciples and say, teach us how to pray. There's only one who truly knows how to pray, and that's Jesus Christ, God's Son. I think it's interesting in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place. This is really important that we have a, Jesus Christ did it. He had a certain place that he prayed. And I like to think it was in a garden somewhere. Maybe he was in the garden of Gethsemane and you know, those places that he would frequent and he would, he would go and pray and he would beseech his father. We find him praying many times, oftentimes alone. And, and at this point, he's praying in a certain place. And it's good for us to have those habits. I imagine that the disciples knew when and where Jesus Christ prayed. So does your family know when and where you pray? Do you have a, sp- a specific time or a specific place? It needs to be that consistent But what's interesting is when he ceased, one of the disciples said unto him. That's the part that gets me because I can just imagine that the disciples are just listening to him pray. Because it says when he stopped, they asked him a question. So that means they would have had to have been standing there or sitting there or kneeling there with him in prayer and listening to his every word. Can you imagine what it would have been like to hear Jesus Christ pray to the Father? I mean, I wish that... There were iPhones with voice memo apps just so I could hear what it would have been like. I would have loved to have heard what he prayed and how he prayed and the fervency of his prayer. It would have been amazing to hear the Son of God pray. And I it, honestly, if I was to hear Jesus Christ pray, I probably, as soon as he said, Amen, I probably would say, Lord, just like the disciples, Lord, teach me to pray just like that. I want to pray like that. I'm tired of Father God, Father God. Just these vain repetitions. I'm tired of just praying, well, because my dad used the lingo or my my mom used those words. I want to use words that mean something. I don't don't want to just pray something I've heard and and regurgitate this, this prayer I've heard my whole life. I want to pray with meaning, Lord. Teach me to pray like that. If you've ever prayed with somebody who was a prayer warrior, then you, when you're done, you want to pray like that. And I've prayed with a few people like that in my life, and uh, you, know, you pray with them and you get done, and you're just thinking, I want to pray like that. I want to reach God like that. I mean, when I was, um, the most recent example, I've prayed with many people like that, but the most recent example that I can think of just a couple of months ago, I was ordained to preach the gospel. And I, I was on, in Stillwater at, at our church there, and, and uh, I was kneeling here, and all of the men on the council kneeled over me and prayed with me. And, and Dr. Dave Hardy, which many of you, I'm sure, know Dr. Dave Hardy, and he, he kneeled you know, over me, and he, he put his hand on my head, which I was a little weird at first, but, but you know, he was, it was kind of like a transference. He was anointing, and you know, just kind of, just symbolically saying that we are, this man is prepared to preach the gospel. And, and he put his hands on my head and, 
and he started to pray. And the things that he prayed, I just felt like I was in the presence of someone who had been in the presence of God many, many times. And when he said amen, I thought, I want to pray like that. Lord, teach me to pray. When you've prayed with somebody who you feel like really got a hold of God, you want to pray like them. And if anyone could get a hold of God, Jesus Christ. I mean, he had a direct line. And the disciples, in response, could only say, teach us to pray. I want to know how to pray. I want to know how to pray. And you say, well, you're a pastor. I mean, I figured you had this worked out already. I mean, I try to pray consistently. I I have a a list and things that I pray for. I try to bring things before God that are pressing or important. But I'm preaching this series, honestly, not even because, I mean, Eastside Baptist Church needs more prayer. We, We need to reach the Lord in prayer more than we ever have. But honestly, for myself, I find myself so lacking in an effective prayer life that I think this series, as long as it continues, it's got to be for me. We need it. If John the Baptist needed prayer, I do. If Jesus Christ took the time to discipline himself to pray, and I'm not praying, do I think that I can live life by myself better than Jesus Christ could? Do I really think that I'm self-sufficient and dependent on myself enough that I don't need to reach out and cry out for God? Very often we treat prayer like it's just a vending machine. You know what a vending machine is and uh, you know how it works. And I remember when I got to middle school, sixth grade, I went to this, you know, this middle school, was going to public school and it's a big school. And for the first time we had vending machines in the cafeteria. And I I mean, I I remember watching kids line up at lunchtime. They have a, a lunch in their hands their mom made. Or they have hot lunch. They could get in line and eat. But to go to a vending machine and push a button, it's like magic for a 12-year-old. You can go and you put the money in that your parents probably gave you to buy milk. And you buy chips or a, a candy bar or, I mean, whatever else you can think of. And the line was out the door every day. There's something special about vending machines. You know how it works. You walk up, you put your money in, you expect to receive the item that corresponds with the button you push. And when it gets hung up, like halfway down, the end of the world has happened because that 75 cents was all your, parent, your mom gave you for the day. And now your, your chips, your Fritos, are just hung up right there. So then you presume to doing what? Rocking it. You know, which I think that kills more people than I haven't. I, I, I don't want to quote. I'll go back to the internet and, and find out for sure, so it's true. But I know that kills a lot of people. Don't rock vending machines. We were at the garage the other day, and Jace came back. <laughs> they have a little vending machine. He had reached his hand up there and grabbed some Nutter Butters for free. So I'm just confessing this to the chambers. He reached up there and grabbed some Nutter Butters out of the machine, so I made him pay for them. But man, there's something about snacks and vending machines. But sometimes, honestly, I think we treat God like a vending machine. And we think, well, this is what I want right here. So, boop, boop, put the money in, hit the button. And when it doesn't come out, we're just as shocked and outraged that we didn't get what we wanted. And yet, how, are we to, how, how dare we treat God, the God of heaven, like a vending machine? 
or like genie in a bottle and we think he's just going to pop out and come answer the request like we want him to. Or a jack-in-the-box and if I just do all the things I'm supposed to do, he's going to pop out just right when I need him to. That's not how he works. Friends, we need to learn how to pray because sometimes I feel like we, I, I think that we feel like God just does what we want, and if we have the right combination of things, he's just going to pop out and give us what we want. But that's not prayer. Prayer is not just asking and receiving, although that's an important part of prayer. Um, God's not a vending machine. We don't just ask and we get. No, prayer is much deeper than that. Prayer is communion with God. Prayer is communication with God. In the same way that you have fellowship with someone that you love, You don't want a conversation with somebody who simply wants something from you. You ever had a friend like that? Where where it seems like every conversation, it just seemed like all they were trying to do was get something out of you. Maybe you've dealt with people like that and it just seems like every encounter, they're just trying to get what they want from the encounter. You ever meet somebody like that? Well, be careful because sometimes that's how our relationship with God is. We go to him just because we want to get something from him. And yet, communion, communication, if you have friendship, if you have a relationship, that's an empty form of friendship. God is a person. God wants a relationship. And for us to treat him as though we only need him when we only go to him when we need something is, is to rob him of fellowship he wants with us, of all things. He wants a relationship with me. He wants communion with me. You know, there are times that we pray and ask for things. It's biblical. We just read verse 9. But here's the, here's the catch. We shouldn't only pray when we need something. It's a relationship. And that's why we can assume Christ wasn't asking the disciples to just repeat a prayer. Okay, here's your prayer. You just say this every day and everything's going to work out. Now, he's never made the Christian walk about vain repetition and mindless tradition. No, many denominations, and maybe some of you have come from them, many denominations treat prayer uh, like words you just recite. And even a prayer like this, some denominations, some churches, they just recite it. And so many ministers and other denominations have little prayer books. And they just recite the prayers. But friends, biblically, that's not prayer. Prayer is communion with God. Who do we pray to? Well, I'm not trying to be offensive to anyone tonight, but the Bible only ever tells us to pray to our Father in heaven. I mean, I, I look around the room and I don't think we have any guests from other churches or denominations tonight, but... We're never told to pray to Mary. We're never told to pray to saints. And we're never told to pray to dead relatives. Prayer is a relationship between us and God. He's the target of our prayer. He is to whom we are to be praying. You communicate in prayer to God. And I think prayer can slip into that category, that realm of being done for those around us rather than to God. Christ warned the Pharisees of praying to be heard by others. We must be careful. Our target in prayer is our Father in heaven. I read this story, an illustration of Lyndon Johnson, former president. Uh, He was known to be a a rough rough guy and not always treating everyone with grace, but 
He, was, he invited one of his aides, a man named Bill Moyers, to a family dinner at the White House. And Moyers was an ordained minister, so the president asked, president asked him to say grace before the meal. So Moyers started to pray quietly. And you've, maybe you've heard this story, but Johnson interrupted his prayer and said, Speak up, Bill, I can't hear you. To which Moyers replied, I wasn't speaking to you, Mr. President. See, prayer is conversing with God. It's conversation. So to the men in this room who may end up at this pulpit someday praying or standing out there praying for an offering. When we pray, it is not about being impressive and you don't have to be concerned about impressing the ones around you and making sure that it sounds good and it sounds right because it doesn't matter what we think about your prayer. Your heart to God is what matters. For those of you who have who, men who may not feel confident praying in public, let the pressure be removed because if you are praying with a sincere heart to God the Father, then it doesn't matter anyone else's opinion of your prayer. And sometimes we get wrapped up in what other people will think, and that's where the flowery language and the deep preacher voice comes. We're worried, we're concerned, but listen, your target is in heaven. And you're praying to one, and that is to God. You don't have to be concerned about impressing anyone with your speech because if you have a sincere heart that's right with the Lord, he hears your prayers. So just some closing things. If you think your prayer is not um, for you, consider the fact that John the Baptist, the greatest born among women, and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, were both big on prayer. Second, did you learn to pray based on what you learned from other people? Or have you learned from Jesus Christ in the school of prayer? Third, do you pray with a faulty view of God in mind? Do you pray expecting him to answer on your terms? Or do you truly pray according to his will with a right perspective on who, who God is? Fourth, do you treat God like a vending machine? Get upset when you, don't, when you push the button, but you don't get what you want. And then finally, who are you praying to? Are you praying to God or are you praying for others to hear? We have so much to learn about prayer. And I want to learn from Christ. I want to pray. I want to be a man of prayer. I want to pray in such a way that when God answers those requests, I'm not shocked at all. Because I believe that he can and that he will. But when he doesn't answer my request like I want, I want to be submissive. Because he's God and I'm not. And however you want to summarize it tonight, we ought to be people of prayer. All the programs and all the outreach and all the efforts and all the new ideas and all the fresh approaches that we could come up with in ministry. First of all, I guarantee they've already all been thought of. Everyone who thinks they're being revolutionary and, and they have got great ingenuity and they're coming up with new ideas... It probably is like way down the list in line of people who've tried it before. But I can promise you this, no one, a church, a church has never been a church truly of prayer that didn't experience God's power and moving and changing in their church life. So it won't be about programs, folks. It'll be about us in communion with God our Father. 
We want to see real change or we want to see real things happening for the Lord. We want to see people really getting saved. We want to see people really growing in, in the Lord. And, and we want to fill this place up. Maybe someday like we saw in the funeral yesterday, it won't happen because we've got bright ideas. It'll start on our knees as we pray to God and seek him in communion. Not just because we want something, but because we want God. And I'm praying tonight, uh, my prayer for this was that we would desire prayer. Learning how to pray, going to God and ask Jesus teach us to pray. Hopefully it, it, it would be a help to us tonight and in the coming weeks as we continue to, uh, to look at the subject of prayer. Let's pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.